0: The bellows contracts and fees number two.
1: All right, cut to edge of stage. Great. All right,
2: color frost. Check. Check. One, two, three. Check. Stand by, please. House to half. House out. Lighting
3: cues one through ten.
0: Welcome back to the Title Blog, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history and their craft. And I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and this time we present another episode of The Bellows, Contracts and Fees, Part 2. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to talk to you about an issue that uh, recently came up on the Designers Guild. Now, this is the private Facebook group where designers can talk about issues away from the uncomfortable eyes of management or directors. We don't share posts from the group, and I will not be talking about the specific post or naming any names, but it appears as if we have a growing problem in professional theatre in Canada. Has this ever happened to you? You are in the first meeting with the director to talk about the design for a show at a regional theatre. The show was a hit on Off-Broadway, and this show is being produced at a number of regionals over the next few years across Canada. At the top of the meeting... The director hands you a photo of a set from the original production and says, This is what I was thinking for the set. It worked so well when I saw it in Seattle last year, and it makes so much sense. So uh, let's do that. The title block shared a post on social media from Chris Peterson of the OnStage blog in August about a community theater in Texas that had illegally posted a full-length video from the production of She Loves Me, book by Jerry Bach, lyrics by Sheldon Narnick. And the set resembled a very simple but obvious copy of the Tony Award-winning set designed by David Rockwell of the 2016 Roundabout Theatre production in New York. Now at that time, and this is back in August, I I sounded off on community theatres who not only defy the video rights rules around posting full-length production videos, but also on the laziness and, and opportunity lost when you just copy the set. What I did not expect was to hear the same thing about professional theatre design in Canada. And not just from one person, but from many people in what appears to be a pattern uh, with not just new graduate directors at the university level, yes, this actually happened, but from established and powerful directors in regional theatre. Now this is a problem. I don't know why it's necessary to state it overtly, but the production of copyrighted material without permission is not only ethically wrong, but it's also stealing. Now, we all use others' work product as inspiration for our own work. For me, I took inspiration from painters from many eras when producing my own letting designs. The final product looked... Well, really nothing like the original work, which says some, maybe something about my own talent, um, but more about the interpretive nature of this kind of process. Uh, and the doctrine of fair comment allows this kind of work. We all do it, designers, directors, etc. But this is something different. Direct copying is outright theft, especially if it's not, if, if it's not out of copyright. And frankly, it's just lazy design, now, I had permission to share one comment from a poster who shall remain anonymous. Quote, It's so prevalent, says the designer. I have called friends lots of times asking, Quote, did I X call you about a remount of your show? Or did X tell you your show was going on tour, etc.? Because I have been asked to implement X's work. I've been told on many occasions that my own show was in Mexico, London, various cities in the USA, sometimes even with a program credit, because, quote, it was cheaper for me to send a video of your own work and have them copy it, unquote. Now, I can't imagine the struggle it is to produce theater in Canada today, especially if you're an independent company. But for too long, designers have been propping up theaters across the Canada by having their work stolen, used without permission, copied, rented out, reused, repurposed, photographed, and reproduced without credit. In some cases, used to produce swag uh, and sold without any cut going to the originator of the idea, the designer. This has happened. And to be told now that it's not uncommon for a director to demand just copying another's work instead of interpreting the play to meet your local needs is infuriating. And what is worse... If it could be worse, is that in some cases when the designer stood up to the director and said, no, this is theft and wrong, that designer never worked at that company or with that director again. So what can we do? Well, if you're a young designer, try to find allies and and stand up to this unethical approach to producing theater. I know it's hard, but someday it's going to be your work that is copied and you will be angry and uncompensated. If you're a faculty at a university, make sure your directing and design students know that this behavior is wrong and can land a theater in hot water, perhaps with a direct cost, and not to approach a problem this way. And moreover, this is just lazy thinking. Your job as a director is to come up with your own ideas, not to crib directly from other people. In that case in Texas, apparently the director had seen a production video that was commercially produced of that uh, of the production on Broadway and had reproduced the blocking step-by-step step in that Texas production. I mean, are you a director or are you just some kind of tom And finally, if you're a production manager or producer who's made aware of this behavior, stop it early. Support your designers and back them up when they come to you. We need your help to make theater in Canada better. Or, if the original set is what the director wanted, Just hire that original designer or license the work. I'm sure they'd be happy to help. And frankly, if you know that your director wants that work that's being produced in Toronto to do your Calgary production, and you know that in advance, well, just buy the set. It's probably cheaper. There. (laughs) Now. On with this week's presentation of The Bellows, a topic germane to this discussion, which is contracts and fees. This is a continuation of a discussion we had in the spring with different people, and I'm sure that one you will find interesting and helpful. On the panel this year was Sue Belint, a Toronto-based producer for companies like Modern Time Stage Company, Theatre Front, and Aluna Theatre, and Aaron Birkenberg, a production manager now living in Edmonton who has worked across the country, including at the Factory Theatre, the Charlottetown Festival, and Theatre Northwest. And, I must add, is a Patreon supporter of the show. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, the panel met at Theatre Passamari with the Bellows producers in September of 2017 to discuss the ins and outs of contracts. Here is the Bellows. Welcome. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to
4: the Bellows. Um, Before we begin, uh, I just want to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of this land. Uh, This site has seen human civilization for thousands of years. Uh, Among the people who have lived here are the Anishinaabe peoples, uh, the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee. Uh, The Seneca, the Mississaugas of the Credit River, uh, and the Métis. So to all the people of Turtle Island, uh, chi-miigwech.
5: Welcome uh, to all of you. Uh, So we'd like to start off with uh, who who has not been to a Bellows panel before? Ah, welcome. This is excellent. Okay, so uh, this is actually the beginning of our third season of The Bellows. So uh, thank you for joining us. We're pretty excited. Um, Who is The Bellows? So we we will introduce ourselves. I am Rebecca Hooten. This to my left is Christopher uh, you Ross. a little bit about yourself? Nope. Who
4: you are? Okay, cool. Uh, I
5: awesome. am the Bellows.
4: Well, uh,
5: I, I have a theater company, the and yeah. I am a person in yeah. Toronto. And
4: you're pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty generally great. Uh, my name is Christopher Ross. Uh, I run the Theater Pass Mariah Backspace, uh, and I also uh, am a founder of the Buns Theater Zone. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I invented that. That was me. And, uh, and I'm also the Bellows. Uh,
5: uh, missing right now, but probably will show up later, is uh, Pip Bradford, who is a production manager and general uh, knower of everything.
4: And and creative person, artistic yes. person uh, with, uh, with Art is Hard, uh, who will be running uh, Crapshoot. I, I artist doing crapshoot uh, this season, which what? is really awesome. Yes. If you haven't heard that. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah,
5: so the first crapshoot is on the 22nd. Shout out, you should yeah, come. On cool. Yeah. Uh, Friday right the 22nd. Next and turn. also
4: missing is Michael Cruz, uh, who is a member of the Bellows and also uh, runs our podcast, or his podcast, where he podcasts the Bellows for us, uh, which is the title block. Uh, so you can find the, t- the title I believe is the website. Yeah. Uh, and subbing in for him tonight is Shauna Miller, uh, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shauna Miller, extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, that uh, is the Bellows, and, and also, also this guy.
6: <laughs> so they went through. So they went go. through the two people who are missing, and the person who's <laughs> something for, and like did his beautiful eulogy, and like oh, Kevin. you're gonna hear
4: him talk like, so
6: yes, much. I so mean, like true. you'll
5: get to know yeah. Kevin better yeah, yeah, yeah. than yeah. Yeah. any of us. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh,
4: and also, you are all the Bellows. Yes. You, you are, are all the Bellows. The Bellows. Uh, so thank you so much for coming and being here. Uh, Let's move this introduction along. Uh, Oh, jeez. Okay, so how does the bellows work? Uh, So the bellows is uh, basically, it's going to be a panel. It's going to take about an hour, uh, maybe a little longer. Sometimes we run a little long. That's fine. Uh, It's all really good information. Uh, We encourage you. uh, Kevin will have some questions he's going to ask, but we encourage you guys, anytime you want, jump in with a question, put your hand up. I will bring the mic over so we can get it for uh, the podcast for posterity, but uh, just, yeah, anytime you want to ask a question, please do. Uh, The panel will happen, and then after the panel, uh, we'll just hang around and grab a beer from the bar.
5: Yeah, feel free to, you know, chat, mingle, ask any of the panelists any questions, but also uh, any of, well, any of us is literally just the three of us, but that's fine. Yeah.
4: Uh, so that's how it works uh, I'm going to mention upcoming Bellas panels So, because uh, we sometimes forget to do this But we have a whole list of our panels We have them all planned out already uh, So coming up in October yeah. is Trash versus Treasure Which is uh, sustainability in the theater industry That's going to be a real good one yeah, I'm really excited really for that good, one yeah. uh, we, In November we're doing a panel on video uh, Video design uh, How it works, uh, topics related to video How it can See ruin some, your life, etc yeah. Yeah. See some ears perk up and December, we're just gonna do a Christmas party.
1: We're just gonna do a, a non-denominational.
4: Um, yeah, yeah, not a non-denominational party, holiday party, and well, it's whatever,
6: really it's whatever holiday
4: you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we still have the rest of them planned so if you want to know any more, please ask me. But
5: like, you know. you'll, we'll tell you <clears> again.
4: Oh, we'll tell you so every many. month. At length,
5: what the next ones are. Yeah,
4: um, I'm gonna remember to mention because we always forget to mention. Uh, this is a pay what you can event. Uh, money is weird, but we're gonna talk a lot about money. <laughs> uh, for like an hour, so I should mention uh, we will pass the hat at the end, or I think that the hat, aka the basket, is at the back of the room <laughs> on a little table. Uh, if you feel like chipping in a couple bucks, uh, please do. Yeah. Uh, what, it would be super
6: t- helpful. helpful. We have plans, but we have plans. money. We have, have no
4: plans. plans. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we like to buy our panelists and beer. Yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. Precisely. Uh, yeah. And And thanks.
5: Yeah, and so... This is a wonderful venue that has hosted us a number of times now over the literal years. Um, So thank you to to Theatre Pass Mariah, as always, for hosting us. Thank you to Kerid downstairs, who's been a—who won't hear this ever, but uh, is lovely and (laughs) has ushered you all in. And thank you to Jared. For uh, serving everybody. Especially, delicious beverages. especially, uh, especially. Uh, Tip your bar <laughs> 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 bartenders real yeah, well. Human being. Uh, uh, there are uh, $4 steam whistles. $4 steam whistle? It's a secret sure, thing yeah. that's not that secret because it happens every time we're here, yep. but you should all know about it. Yeah. Uh, so, even more incentive to tip your bartenders. <laughs> Without um,
4: further ado, we need to workshop this intro, it'll get shorter. Uh, it won't. Without further ado, here's your uh, panel. Take it away, Kevin Hudson.
6: Thanks very much. Thank you very much for coming. I'm going to just defy them immediately and continue the introduction. So the point of the Bellows, um, which is vaguely related to contracts, is that that bar is where I signed my first uh, ever professional theatre contract. Um, and the way I got hired and the way a lot of us got hired um, is by, you know, doing the work and then staking around at the bar and making friends. And that's how you tend to get hired the next time. So it's our opportunity to pass that on to all of you. Uh, That's what makes us happy. That's what we're here for. Um, So speaking of fees and contracts, um, we need to talk about uh, negotiating. Um, We need to talk about what exactly a contract is um, and how you get comfortable negotiating a contract. Um, So I'm going to let these two lovely ladies introduce themselves. On my left, uh, who are you and what do you do?
7: I'm Erin Birkenbergs, I used to live in Toronto, I was a freelance production manager for a while and then I was the production manager at Factory for a couple seasons. Uh, Now I live in Edmonton but not really, I keep going elsewhere to do other production management and tour management elsewhere across the country. Vagrant. Yeah, vagrant, correct.
8: And I'm Sue Ballant, um, and I'm a freelance producer around town. Um, I work uh, with Aluna Theater, Native Earth Performing Arts, Summerworks, Chocolate Woman Collective, and Modern Time Stage Company um, as well. So, All at the same time? Uh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's me.
6: Amazing. Uh, how long was it, how deep into your career did you get before you were comfortable negotiating a contract?
8: Um, in terms of negotiating, like, because I write the contract in terms of negotiating with people, I mean... Well, in terms of I, taking a
6: contract, negotiating your fee, let's say. And
8: my fee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tricky. Uh, I, I'm i not sure. Ch- I'm still learning, actually. I had an interesting case a couple years ago uh, for various reasons that I had to consult a lawyer about a contract that I already had in place, mm-hmm. um, and and concluding that in a way that uh, was fair to me. And I actually, um, since I was there, I, and I, you have to pay by the hour, and that only took 10 minutes, yeah. I was like, okay, what can I do with the other 50 minutes? And so I got them to walk me through um, contracts for freelance individuals and the kind of things that one should be looking for and the kind of questions that they should be asking. And that was, that was really great, actually, because it served, for me... Um, as well as just kind of a knowledge of when I'm most of the time writing contracts for other people's the kind of people the other clauses or things that I would that I would put in because I feel in in my position quite often working with like independent smaller companies um, I I feel a need to protect both sides you know right. not you know and I kind of a responsibility to a lot of artists who are signing something for the first time. Or you know, I'm I'm not in the business of writing a contract that's going to screw someone over, you know. Um, which you know, I suppose if you get to bigger organizations or certainly anything outside the art sector, it might not be the case, right? Yeah. Um, so negotiation, I've I can't think of very many times where I've ever had like a really hard back and forth negotiation, it's more of a conversation. Right, right, right. So,
7: yeah, and I think I'm the same way. Like, I'm still not great at negotiating for myself. Like, I negotiate (laughs) with artists a lot more. And I think in being in a position where you're contracting designers and carpenters and things like that, again, it's the same thing. Like, you learn from delivering these contracts to Mm -hmm. other people. You learn better ways to protect yourself and what you can ask for and what you can negotiate. So I'm still not comfortable.
8: I do it, you have to do it all the time. I'm not good at asking for more for myself.
7: Yeah, it's a tough thing. I think I I would say in the past like three years I've gotten better about saying, well, let's just ask and see what happens. Let's ask for a little bit more and see. I
8: could use that. Yeah, you just call me next time. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) you can be my agent.
6: (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about agents. Um, I don't know anybody in this room who may have one or not. Does anybody have an agent? No, no. Oh, never mind. Let's not talk about agents. They're boring.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
6: uh, how does when you're yeah. writing a contract or you're presenting a contract to somebody? We got
8: an agent here. Excellent. Yeah. How does
6: uh, an agent or even a union or association? How does that change the change the dynamic when you're negotiating or when you're presenting a contract to somebody?
7: Well, I can speak to the like the union and the association. Like I've. You know, I've had to read and review uh, lots of equity contracts, lots Mm -hmm. of ABC contracts. um, And when I'm going into a venue, there's a lot to read if you're going into an IATSE house. Um, And that, for me, how that changes is just a lot more reading and research into Mm -hmm. what are, what does the contract say? And then is there a supplemental, you know, booklet of terms or standard agreements that goes along with that? So it just takes longer to kind of figure that out and and go through all of that information, it is rare that I deal with an agent. So I don't know. You probably have
8: more to say that about that too. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's not extremely common. Normally, I'm dealing with with performers themselves, but uh, once in a while, an agent. And I'm not sure how I, because. I, I don't know what people have in terms of their individual arrangements with agents. Some seem to be very hands-on. Others kind of trust their, their client to, to do it for themselves. But I actually... There's something I really appreciate about the vigilant uh, vigilance of, of an agent and doing everything by the book. And there's certain performers that I, that I know okay, another copy has to go over there. These particular things have to be communicated in due course. And so um, it's, a, it's a nice layer of, of professionality, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I can go either way, though. Yeah. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And I know a lot of performers choose for certain contracts to be under the table or, you know, or like just we're, I'm going through a personal connection at this point. I don't, I don't need my agent involved. Right. So I kind of take, take it from them what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay.
6: Interesting. Yeah. Um, so what do you look for? Um, is there, are there elements on a contract that tell you that it's like legit? Right? Do you ever get contracts that, or, or negotiate contracts where it's like this is a bit underdeveloped, say?
7: Yeah, um, yeah, I've yeah? seen a some contracts that I've received myself for myself to sign. But I'm like, okay. You can tell. You can usually tell if it's underdeveloped or they're not quite sure what they're doing if it's in a bunch of different fonts and oh. sizes of fonts. That's <laughs> it's, it's usually like a bit of like, maybe I want to read this through a, a, d- a little bit yeah, more yeah. carefully. Uh-huh. Uh, that does happen because lots of people, and I think a lot of people who write contracts as well, they like looking at other contracts and stealing clauses out of them. You know, you pick and choose to make the kind of contract that you want. Um, so that, that's a big red flag. Uh, if there's no, if there's no uh, dates on that contract, oh, yeah. that is often a red flag. Uh, and if there is no compensation written into that contract, whether it's an hourly fee for X amount of hours or a full-on, just like a design fee or something like that, or a contractual fee, those are all my big red flags. That right maybe i need mm-hmm. to have more conversations not just because i need a piece of paper that says all of these things but maybe i need to talk to the company a little bit more to ensure that everyone's expectations are being managed
8: right yeah yeah and i mean i think contracts certainly do evolve once you once you jump into a job and everyone is discovering things that oh especially in like a production management capacity or something oh, we didn't think of who was going to drive the bus or, oh, we didn't think about whatever. But um, I think on the person who's writing the contract, on their side, the the idea to to remain flexible, like sometimes things need to be revisited where we didn't realize you actually are spending, this is another two weeks of work that no one anticipated or the scope of the project changes. Um, It's nice to, in addition to what's on paper, have that conversation, kind of relationship, where we all recognize that we're working on working in this together. You yeah, know? for sure. Um, yeah, dates not on a contract is suspect. I would say. Yeah, and it and it might just also indicate how far along they are in like the creative process of the project that they don't. They're not sure what they're looking for sometimes. Yeah. You know, I've been yeah. involved in projects where. Um, in various capacities, where it's it's just clear that we weren't ready to go into production yet, or we weren't ready to engage people with specific titles that imply right. certain roles quite yet. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Uh, speaking of the process, is there uh, general timelines for when you hire people? Like, who do you hire first in the process?
8: I think if you're engaging, if you're engaging a producer specific to the project, then the producer would would yeah, be top one. of the list for because sure. they're going to start managing, you know, c- hiring, contracting everyone else. Yeah. I think the production manager is nice to have on board for their, for their insight and advice as things.
7: Yes, and speaking as a production manager, yeah. it, you as a production manager are often getting hired after the design team. Yeah. And so to all of your, you young producers <laughs> out there, hire your production manager early. We like to be on board early because we like to ha- help you manage all of your budget and your schedule and help you manage the expectations of what your vision for your project is and the yeah. earlier you can bring us on board mm-hmm. the the sooner that we can help you so that when we get on like you don't hire us too late and then you're a bit disappointed about what you can actually do with your mm-hmm. time and your money that's what we're here for
6: we did Product, production managers were our second
4: panel, I think. Ever, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it was a really good podcast. It was great. one thing you get from the Bellas. Hire Higher a, production a
6: production manager. We man. <laughs> hire them often. Like timely as yeah. well. So what you've done basically is you've started a little snowball at the top of a giant mountain and then you've got a person at the bottom who you've hired and you've called a production manager and you expect them to stop it. It's like, no, it's not. Oh, no it's, it's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, it's not going to yeah. happen.
8: Yeah, it's a real shame when a production manager just gets handed a budget yeah. late yeah. in the game mm-hmm. and said, this is what we anticipated was, <laughs> was going to sure. be possible, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um with the way, we everyone that this is how much money have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and then it's game over. So yeah. I, th- I think those are important roles yeah, to bring on. Yeah, and
7: I think, you know, and sometimes you can't afford to hire them them early, but you can always ask. Like, I would prefer to be paid the same amount of money, but to be brought on early so that I have more time Mm -hmm. to plan out my life so I can still do the same job, but spread out and again, have those conversations earlier. And I think that it depends on what, like in terms of hiring designers in your process, it really depends on what kind of process you're looking to have. If you're creating, new work or you're creating or or you're doing some kind of collective creation where that's going to be a group effort Mm -hmm. you might want to contract those designers much earlier than you would just kind of doing a straight play
6: that's a good point yeah yeah Yeah. we're done can we talk about designers for a bit sure yeah i
8: love talking about design.
6: so how do you uh how do you approach a hiring designer in contractual terms
8: well, quite often with the companies that I work with, we're working with designers, the same kind of core group of designers over and over again. Right. Um, that's specific to, to my companies. And also, um, there are projects yeah. Yeah. Uh, that go through several development phases, which in our case, they're sitting in the room from the beginning. Mm-hmm. They become a core member of the collective team. So generally, in that case, we will do um, individual contracts for each phase of the work. Yeah. Um, as opposed to here's the next three years of your life and everyone's committed to, well, because maybe maybe things change and after the first development phase you realize that, you know, a video is not going to be an element, for example, or, or something like that. So we contract phase by phase or, you know, maybe six, 12 months at a time. Um, okay. And then the final contract is kind of the bigger one, the production one. And it includes the royalties, clauses and all you know, it's a much fuller agreement.
6: Right. Yeah. You know. Uh, so how does that relate? Uh, do designers? Do all designers expect to have sort of ownership um, and royalties in a contract? Is that?
7: I mean, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, I, think so. I think that they should. You know, um, in term like it is intellectual property. They have mm-hmm. given of their time and of their thoughts to your your project. So I always assume that when I'm writing a contract, ADC like ADC has that built in, but as uh, just a freelancer, just doing a smaller contract, um, that's always in my brain is something that we need to put in writing yeah. Yeah. at the time of signing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: I once put a yeah. uh, first writer of refusal,
8: I think, in my designer yeah. contract, yeah.
6: and I, I felt often like do that. Man, I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was super important. Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah, I, I think so too. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
7: and I find I find the ADC contract is is helpful whether there is a designer who is under that agreement or not. I kind of use it as a baseline and a base of knowledge for like an industry standard. Right. Um, Sometimes when I've worked for companies, they're not always clear on what the actual terms that go along with the ADC contract is. So going back to what I said earlier, like when you're dealing with these associations, really do your homework and do the research and do the reading. And if you don't know, you can call ADC or you can call up another designer to really kind of dig in Mm -hmm. if you're not clear on what those terms are. Because I find there are companies out there who don't actually understand what they get for a base fee. Like there are rules and stipulations for, and lots of designers are flexible, but for what you get for a base fee, how many rehearsals you're going to attend and when your stuff is due. So.
6: Oh my God, do I have to be at every preview? Is that a thing?
7: It could be depending on your contract. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just digging into those things and really helping. Like I find often as a production manager working with a producer, or a general manager, it's it's before the contract goes out. To the designer, I'm sitting in an office for a couple hours going through a stack of contracts, making sure that we're all clear on yeah. the project that we're doing and what expectation of time we have of these people that we're inviting into the room. Right. Yeah.
6: How do you word that in a, in, on paper in terms of expectation of time?
7: I think it is more conversational mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, paper trail if you can, emails yeah. back and forth. Um, oftentimes, like, theatres will ask for what other projects you're working on at the time so they can Mm -hmm. have a good understanding of how much time you are going to be able to give them.
8: I often have in in my contract, like, for myself, um, my contracts, because I'm freelancing a lot of different places, and that's, like, a very good question to ask me. (laughs) What what are you working on simultaneously or whatever? And I'll often have in... um, from October 1st to October 31st, estimated 20 hours a week. November 1st to November 30th, 40 hours a week. Like, so okay. and that that's a really clear way of them knowing when I'm going to be in their world and when I'm, you know, and there's right. no surprises because it's not pleasant for a freelancer to suddenly be in a I can't give you what you want. We should yeah. have talked about this yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah, because yeah.
6: that certainly happened to me where You've been juggling three projects, and one of them explodes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, is that, is that fairly common to, to have that discussion of what else you're working on, and and that's all above board? And yeah, I think so. Yeah. I
7: mean, like, and oftentimes you'll just have a residency period. So right. it's like during this residency period, you're the companies yeah. for this particular contract, Technique, for instance. Technique, like I'm for here instance. for you. Yeah. yeah. So you know that's yeah. that's a stipulation that often gets put in a lot. Okay.
8: Yeah. And I have to be, like, just for myself, I need to be very forthcoming with, with people because I, I want to manage the expectations that, um, and sometimes I just can't do a project because I know that it's not going to be fair yeah. to, to whoever I'm saying yes to. Right. Yeah?
6: Right. Right. 'Cause no that's all above board, actually. And I
8: ask people yeah. I straight up ask people Right what what else what is else going on in your yeah. life between oh. this and that Yeah, but and
7: it, it. it can be, but there's plenty of times that it is not talked about and it is like it is under the board and nobody knows and then we get to tech week and we only get to see somebody for six hours over the whole week and mm-hmm. that really sucks. So I'm yeah. a big fan of trying to have these conversations during the phase before we sign and agree.
6: Right, 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 right. Sweet. So, uh, how do you? Is there? I kind of want to ask, like, what? Just what do you charge by hour? I'm not going to ask that because that's crude. Um, <laughs> but like, how do you? How do you make that distinction per company and your time investment when you're when you're talking about? Because uh, oftentimes people will come to you with a set budget. Like, right. I have this much money to offer you, and it's all I have in my lighting or production management or whatever budget. So, how do you negotiate that? when you're offered a set chunk of money?
7: It's different every time, yeah. right? It yeah. depends on the company. It depends on who the company is. Have you worked for them before? Um, I mean, that's often what you're dealing with. Yeah. You, like, most of the the smaller indies that, that I have worked for, like, the number is the number is the number. You yeah. might be able to raise it a couple hundred dollars, but you're not going to really get much more out of that. And again, that's where the negotiation and the discussion above board being like, okay, but if you only have this money, this is what I can offer you with my time. Um, Can you get me an assistant? Can you get me like, is there somebody else who can share this load with me? Like all of those things I think are, are well on the table. Like you don't necessarily put those in a contract all of the time. Sometimes you do, um, but i think those are the kinds of negotiations that i go through in my mind well if i only have this time and i really want to make it clear to you that yes i only have this time and you only have this money so can we come to an agreement where this project is going to come to fruition in the best way possible for all
8: parties involved
7: mm-hmm. right. or not and if not yeah. then sometimes you just got to take a take a pass <laughs>
8: <laughs> yeah and i think like i think it's the same for for probably all of us that there's, there's the money part of the equation, but there's also like, do you have an existing relationship with the company? Even if they're super small and they don't have money, but it's a really cool project and you really just want to, you want to do it. Yeah. Like
2: mm-hmm.
8: over the course of a year in different projects, maybe you balance out, like here's something that's going to pay me really well. Here's something else. That's kind of like, that's the thing that I have my heart in, you know, um, But, too, again, I think the conversation always of, like, just continuing to educate each other, that I I think we can all agree that pretty much no one, you know, at the independent level is getting paid what they're worth, you know? Yeah. Um, And we all know that. And to have that conversation about... And continue to think and work in a way, like, of of what you're worth as opposed to little scrap. Because it's, like, it's really...
7: Yeah, and I've definitely done that. Like, I remember working for a small opera company the first time I met Chris Ross uh, when he was working at the Helen Gardner Phelan. Yes, did I say that right? Yep. Um, I got this opportunity to work, and it wasn't a lot of money, and it was going to be a lot of work, but I got to do a show with mm-hmm. Koo and Jason Hand, and I went, that sounds awesome. I mm-hmm. haven't worked with them as a team, so yeah. this is a this is a level up for me. So I will take my lumps, and I will work real hard for not a lot of money, but I got this great experience and I got to work with those guys who have been great resources since then. So I think that's really mm-hmm. something to look to as well.
6: For sure. So what, what else is, besides besides money, what else are you looking for in a contract? Was there is there any other compensation you can offer or you look for that makes it worthwhile?
7: I mean, I, I think it's experience-based. Like, if I work with you, is this a cool project? And is this going to be something that, Fills my soul with joy. Mm-hmm. Like working with Morrow and Jasp. They oh, yeah. can ask me to <laughs> work yeah. for Anytime. Peanuts and I will yeah. do anything for those girls because I and know it's going to be a good experience for everyone in the room because we're collaborating together. they pay you together. in literal Peanuts and it would
6: yeah. be
8: amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be super into <laughs> it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think the same thing. Like if, if something's going to be um, either a challenge or something that I've never had to do before, like, that's that's exciting, as opposed to just straight-up play, here's the script, yeah. opens yeah. February 1st, um, then that's, that's really appealing. Um, you get to travel a lot. I never get to travel. Quite often, I send people on tour, yeah. and I stay at home, so if someone... Wanted to take me on tour. I'd love that.
7: Yes, and the, the bonus. Is yeah. <laughs> yes, and the bonus of being on tour oftentimes is you get your your base contract fee, and hopefully they're paying they're paying for accommodation and a bit of per diem. So that's that's money that you can keep and you don't necessarily have to spend on accommodation like you would when yeah. you're traveling for leisure. Like that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And you get to like pocket a lot of that yeah. a lot of times if you're smart. So. That's, that's good. What if you're not smart? Do you go to the bar? <laughs> uh, yeah, then you, I mean, you spend, spend it all at the bar, and you come home <laughs> with negative bank account.
6: Right, right. <laughs> doable. Totally doable. Uh, do you have a sort of pet clause? Do you have a most hated clause? <clears throat> Anything that just like will drive you away from a contract immediately? Because... Uh, one of the production managers I worked with recently said that the, the like sundry duties as required is the worst thing ever. Yeah, It's not legally binding in any way, and she just swears up and down that it should be exterminated.
8: Other duties as required at the end of the task list, which yeah. I, I will say I I put into every contract, but I I always feel weird. But <laughs> and I think I think it also is one of those things that you were talking about of, like the contract is a little vague or it's in different font sizes, like if they haven't fully formulated a task list or a duty yeah. list for you yet, or if it's extremely short, there's only like two or three duties and then other duties yeah. as required, that's, if I if there's 20 mm-hmm. and then other duties as required, okay, you've given it some thought. So
7: I, I will take exception. The only time I don't mind that, con- that clause is I've seen, uh, other duties as assigned or will not be unreasonably assigned. So it's oh, like it has to nice. tie somehow to I'm your job. Use and I mean, that. you can reach pretty far, but like that, yeah. that I feel is more reasonable Go than it. just other duties as assigned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I don't know if it's like you know, right or wrong, but I know a lot of companies who just have a very kind of um, like a corporate kind of contract and mm-hmm. it really doesn't tell you much about the job, which I don't love. Um, So I'm a big fan of the appendix or the job duties attached to that, having that referenced in the contract, like the following things will be Mm -hmm. your job uh, according to appendix A. Um, Because sometimes contracts can get really big and fat and clunky, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that all of that needs to be there for a legal binding contract to happen but if you have a set, separate appendix that has all that information that you can quick
8: look can that's pretty it. good too one organization that I've worked with actually has just kind of as it's lovely it's like just narrative driven uh, the top of the contract um kind of has a paragraph expressing the working culture the spirit of the company the way like stuff this is how we work together in the workplace that's and, cool. and I really, I liked that because when I read it, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm entering into this mutual agreement with a group of people who have decided yeah. to work together. It wasn't, and it's not corporate. And it was like, I thought that was nice. It felt welcoming, actually.
6: I've actually never thought of the phrase mutual agreement mm. on a contract before.
8: Instead of contract.
6: Yeah. Is that weird?
8: I never call them contracts, I call them letters of agreement, because especially right. when I'm working with uh, younger or emerging artists, I find it's like a softer kind of phrase, like contract is a scary word or something. Right. But, and I have done uh, memorandums of understanding,
7: mm-hmm. yeah, which is those. kind I think of close of to
8: mutual agreement. Maybe I'll start calling wow. them letters of mutual agreement, because you do put in here's presenter duties, here's artist duties. Like, you know, it's on both sides in a lot of cases. Do we have a question at the back? Yes! Ooh! Finally! Like we
6: um, not, we're podcasting, not no. get, so get, get in there. get on that mic.
9: For posterity. For posterity. Yeah, yeah, Thanks for the wireless stuff here. Quick. You're very welcome. No, you're not, you're not just amplified. Just it's amplified. just for the internet. Uh, yeah, yeah. My question, actually, is about... Uh, uh, sort of the rationale behind uh, doing a contract, uh, what, it allo- what it affords the company, uh, what it affords the artist, and uh, whether anybody in the room is not doing contracts currently with their uh, programming. Is there anybody here, just show of hands really quickly, that is not using contractual agreements?
6: Yeah, yeah, My company hires freelancers.
9: It's not contractual. It's okay. sure. can you guys comment on that? On the validity of uh contracts and maybe why you wouldn't need one? Good question.
8: When you um when you when you hire freelancers, does that mean that they invoice but there's no contract? Yeah. Is that yeah. the extent of that? Yeah,
6: bi hourly. So there yeah. is there is a. A sort of little one pager we send out. That's like the here's how we're going to use you for the hourly fee, which we're offering. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a. I still
7: call that a contract?
6: Suppose so, but nobody's yeah. signing anything.
7: Oh, I see. Right, so there's no like
6: the only agreement part of that contract is that you say I'll I'll do that.
7: Huh. Um
6: I guess I guess there is an offer, and but there's not specific like terms. You know what I mean? Right. Um. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Huh.
8: I, in a lot of cases, I don't mind invoicing instead of contracting, and it's easier, like, on a producer's side to not be shuffling through so many, sure. like, really, when it's, when it's pretty straight up, you know? Yeah. Um, with that, though, I think I always have emails. I have paper trail. I have notes from a meeting that I may have had from them, or, like, you yeah. know, we kind of go through the terms, and quite often in a scenario like that, there's, like, a budget cap, where if you are paying hourly, like, I have still had a, at least a verbal conversation. We got budgeted $500 for this work. And they say, okay, I'll invoice you $500 at the end, you know, as opposed yeah. to, or I'll flag when I only have four hours left, and I'm still not done my work. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not a written contract, you know, like in that more traditional sense I think that's fine, especially for shorter yeah, term. things. I, I think that the idea of
6: yeah, c- come on up, come on up, yeah, yeah,
7: Contract not contracting like terrifies me a yeah. little bit. Like I spent time as a freelance technician as well, and uh, but I've also been burned by companies, yeah. as many of us in the room has been as well, by not having that and then not being paid. Um, I think it's just like contracting makes makes asking for what you are owed because you've done the work and asking to be paid for that work, it makes it a little secure. more secure and easier to talk about because I can go back and say, remember when both of us signed this agreement? <laughs> mm-hmm. I would please like the money because I did the work for this. Right. Yeah, and I, oh, go ahead. Yeah,
9: my question, uh, my, my building on top of that last uh, piece was, and again, this is to anybody in the room as well, is uh, do you have examples of where... Uh, your arrangements have gone south, uh, you know, and particularly because you didn't have a, an agreement in place, didn't have a contract, didn't have the terms, didn't have the tech requirements, all of those things that come into play, and uh, if you've been really burned or have <laughs> had poor experiences because of it. Mm. I'm, I'm like a champion of contracts, so yeah. for those specific reasons, but if anybody has any stories, I'd be interested. And you guys, of course, talking about that. Sure. Go for it. Go for it, Sheila.
6: Do it.
7: Get up there. Yeah. Yeah. So
3: So I I can't talk specifics, um, but certainly there are designers who have worked without appropriate agreements in place. Um, The initial experience uh, may have been uh, satisfactory and the compensation, what they expected... But when a production grows legs and moves Mm. onwards, I have seen designers uh, whose work has been used and they have had no access to royalties. Um, And uh, what is the worst part of that is that they feel entirely devalued in terms of their contribution. And it ruins a relationship. And very often these situations happen between friends so i would say absolutely if there's any hope that that show could have legs and that's every show any show you need to have some sort of agreement in place right absolutely.
8: yeah i would i would agree like from speaking as someone who sends out a lot of contracts if anyone in these cases where perhaps it's an invoice scenario or something, if anyone ever said, no, I'd like a contract, I would never not, you know, yeah. I would gladly <laughs> provide that. And royalties is something I always watch because that, that is something that I see that there are loopholes that, that designers don't always get that, yeah.
4: I'm actually. No. Can, I add, can I add one thing to that, or yeah, just yeah, a question? Because yeah. it's also, uh, it's my understanding, and I've never had this happen myself. But from previous times we've talked about this, there's also the matter of what happens if the show doesn't happen. What happens if the show, uh-huh. you know, and then and, and, and do you get compensated? Well, if you don't have a contract, then I mean, I guess, I guess, or if you haven't put that in your contract, then then no. Like if the show just folds, then shoot, I guess that sucks. But. It's my understanding you can put that in a contract yep. about a clause for if that happens. Have you guys ever done that? Or is that in contracts you write?
8: Yeah, there is. What's the title of that clause? But it's the whole act of God clause. Force, yeah. the force yeah. majeure. The force yeah. majeure. Yes. That's right. Yes, That's yeah, right. That's, that's in yeah. my contracts. That's, in, yeah, that's in
6: the contracts that our company sends out. It's like, well, if yeah. you cancel within a week, then we're just going to take all your money. Yeah. If yeah. you cancel within two weeks, then we'll talk about it. Yeah. That's... Yeah,
8: and I think it's, that's important too because yeah. this is. I think we've we've all, probably all been involved in projects that don't transpire the way we thought they were.
6: Or <laughs> but I've already built the set, guys. Like yeah. I built it, and it's now here.
8: storage.
7: Yeah, and that wasn't totally. in the budget. Yeah, right. Yeah, and depending on what kind of work you're doing, I'm a big fan of uh, something. And I'm not going to be able to explain it very well, but there's something called a hold harmless clause uh-huh. that just ensures that you are not responsible. Like, that you, for instance, as a designer, are not going to be held responsible for the set piece breaking and injuring someone. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty important because they are not necessarily the ones constructing or building that. Yeah. Uh, they're there to design it. They're not yeah, designers to en- are not engineers. Engineers, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah,
6: that's
9: what and the insurance that comes along with that, um, uh, you know, who has coverage, who is actually liable... And that is an element of the contract specifically yeah. for that reason. So, a fixture doesn't fall on someone's head and people are looking around going, I, Who's going to pay for this? Who's yeah. going to pay for that person <laughs> who's lying on the floor? I mean,
8: mm-hmm. like, no one needs a contract until something goes wrong. Right? And, was that good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a question? I, but when I. Do- yes. You need a microphone. Good, okay, it was a good,
0: okay. Hi there, I'm interrupting briefly once again to ask you to support the title block on patreon.com. Click on support the show in the show notes. This will bring you to my Patreon page where you can donate a small amount every episode. And I'm just asking that you help to cover out those costs and help me to continue to capture the story of Canadian theatre design and to bring you special presentations like The Bellows. Go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate a couple of bucks an episode. It really helps.
10: So I have a question about royalties and what is kind of um, the general rule of like royalties for a performer who has written the show because it's uh, verbatim or what is uh-huh. for a designer or for what are those and how do you um, navigate and propose something that is like like ethical and logical so you're not giving someone like 60% because they painted it. You know, like, mm-hmm. how, what is the regular split of that?
8: Do you normally do design like a percentage of the original fee for designer yes. royalties?
7: Yeah, yeah, per performance. Yep. Yeah. Which is like, ADC contract makes that really easy. Mm-hmm. There's just a little line. You can only, what is it, one percent, Sheila? Is you is yeah is, yeah. Yeah, is the minimum, and then you can go sky high after that. It varies. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah, one yeah. percent of their original fee per performance. I'm not sure how that changes if that show has legs after the run. Is that the same? I'm not sure. So I, I, sorry, (laughs) I'm just going to
3: use yeah because you're here. Involved in the last uh, round of negotiations. So I don't want to quote on that. Sure. But one of what can one of the things that often happens is you know drowsy chaperone come from away. You know they started sort of very. Uh, black box, and now, you know, and then they go to Broadway. So, I mean, if you offer the designer, you know, 1% of that original piddly fee fee when they're on Broadway, um, it is perhaps, might be construed as disrespectful. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you could tie it to the, what a designer would be paid in that setting. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Um, And and, uh, you're likely to have a happier response so um, and, and if you don't they'll get you on the additional services anyways because you can't really take it from right. something like the backspace here to
8: Broadway without doing significant for sure amendment
6: <laughs> all I need is 48 numbers it's fine
8: <laughs> but you raise an interesting point about like a performer or someone who's part of a collective creation verbatim whatever the situation I've never encountered that actually of um, of a group of core collaborators who then maybe the script travels with, without the performers. Is that that's interesting?
3: Chorus line is still in court, so you might want to see what exists on the web about that. Huh. I
6: will. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we've learned that there is a template for designers. Where can one find said template for designers for royalties, you let's say?
3: the ADC office. Yeah, okay one for packed theaters, and one for independent producers. Right on. They're pretty
7: parallel. Yeah? Yeah. Good. I also know that there are some designers now who if they're doing a fringe or a summer works contract and they cannot be paid a proper fee at that time, that they are signing agreements to protect themselves. Again, so if the show has life after that, they have a written agreement that says if this show gets picked up, into a full-on production that goes wherever yeah. it goes okay. then you will pay me a proper fee, like the the fee that's written on this piece of paper for the work that I did with it, it that I did originally okay. and then we will negotiate a new fee for what this is going to be as well and they
8: would ask for first right of refusal as well correct yeah yeah
7: yeah, Cool, so that's, that's smart. And I think it's really smart because there there are so many instances of fringe shows, summer work shows, like all of these tiny little indie pieces that nobody has any money. Everyone's just taking a share of the door uh, that do get picked up and have big, long lives after that. So uh, to protect yourselves early, yeah. bite these things down. And I think that's what contracts generally are about. It's to protect the company and to protect the individual who's working for the company. Like, I think it
8: works all around for the most part. I think designers are well served by agents as well. Like, probably, I've probably worked with more designers who have agents than performers that mm-hmm. have agents, at least that, that contact me. And that's because this can be, these are really, these are tricky things as opposed to a straight up, that's an equity contract. That's my eight-week gig, whatever. But designers do have a lot more intellectual property yeah. to to be aware of, you know.
6: That's actually a really good summary. Um, we might be a little early. Can anybody else stretch me with questions here? Because that was a great summary. Yeah, do it. Get up there. Oh no, I was inviting people to that microphone. Oh, sad. <laughs> <laughs> Erroneously, as it turns out. All right, well, we're all here That's to great. answer questions.
2: No, I'm not done.
10: Do, do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so to put things into context, uh, my good friend and I are starting a theater company, and we want to remain friends after the theater company. So we think that contracts are a good thing. Yeah. And what we've struggled with is what exactly certain titles are and what certain tasks are attached to those title titles and what do those means what do those titles mean kind of going forward so for example like producer great we have no money and no show so what are you producing and uh, that kind of area right because I'm gonna write it down Totally, yeah. And so you and
6: you want to you want to formalize these agreements before you get started to protect yourself in moving into the future. Yeah, we don't want to fight later. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, to
7: be clear, because we work in the theater, you're gonna fight later. That's just, <laughs> it's bound to happen, but so you can make up after. This yeah, is an excellent
8: first step. Yeah. I think, like one thing that I hear from that is that I wouldn't I wouldn't jump to feel compelled to have every title that you can think of or every role that you can think of filled off the bat I think needs emerge that are specific to any given company or or process that you're in so to to say immediately that you need a producer maybe maybe you don't right away I think you know if the two of you are maybe start by looking at what are your task lists, right? And then once you see all that with other duties as reasonably assigned at the bottom of each one, then you can start identifying what the gaps are, what are, or the skill sets that you, that you need help with. And it might not be producer, it might be um, development person who's really good at grant writing, you know, and then call it that title. But like, Find it where you need it Yeah, first. there's,
7: I mean, there's plenty of nonsense titles in this industry. Like, yeah. made up, jammed together. Like, we've seen the gamut, Kevin. Yeah. All over. I like um, to be
6: called thing-doer.
7: Thing-doer, thing-doer is, is a good yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's really important to just start with a list of what, like, decide what your company is going to be and start writing your list. And I think the agreement that you enter into maybe i'm not an expert is just one of like mutual understanding of you know to begin with we agree to enter this together and we're both going to work on these things and then maybe you can have a short list and then you know if you were going to do this legally which i don't know that you need to do right now but it can be like you know, and this contract will be revisited again on X date and then mm-hmm. you have another little meeting and you go, okay, where are we at? What do we need? Do we need to swap some of these things? Like that might be a good
8: jumping off point for you guys. You want to contract with each other as opposed to a contract with third and fourth parties or both, like oh. just all that stuff, the all the things. Guy. We're in the, oh shit, we're there
10: sooner than we thought stage, which is good. That's so, great. That's great. That's yeah great. So,
8: we also want to
6: make sure that like, we're not like, raging idiots about it. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Can I can I ask what a fourth party is? Can I just display my ignorance? I've oh no, I just I third meant party. third
8: or fourth or fifth okay. party. Just but there's more no
6: people. legal okay, great.
8: Yeah. I I don't think fourth party is a legal term. Okay, great. I just <laughs> I, thank you for thinking it might be though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just, You <laughs> sold me.
3: I was there. I was totally
8: there.
6: No
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: There's an existing legal framework for what you were trying to do. It's called a partnership, um, and I'm not really... F- I, I just know it exists. I'm not too fa- familiar with all the ins and outs of it. But it, um, having worked with a couple who had a company who the marriage dissolved, I can tell you what they argued about professionally. Um, one of the things was ownership of repertoire, particularly those things that were created collectively. Um, and so and that would tie into royalties and and all of that Um, that and um, other other forms of intellectual property Mm -hmm. so establishing uh, in addition to like a partnership agreement around each piece of work you do uh, what your inter intellectual property is comprised of and it's much easier to do this when um, feelings are not running so high yeah. Um, so th- I, would, I would look at that. The other thing you need to do is you need to figure out what's going to happen when you dissolve. Because, I mean, you, you think that it will last forever, but sometimes it doesn't. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, can one partner buy the other partner out? Or does it all get buried? Um, and, and so think about that. And it's so much easier to do in the theoretical.
2: Yeah.
8: That's an excellent point. Ownership of repertoire. That's tense. That's tense.
6: Mm -hmm.
11: Yes, please. Um, So I don't know if either of you have dealt with it or just like touched on the idea of people taking on multiple roles that are very clearly (laughs) separated. So I ran into an interesting problem in a lot of productions now where I'm performer and designer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And technician. But... Like, whether that involves actually creating separate contracts or lumping things together, like, it, it, I mean, it's a lot of indie shit and it ends up...
7: To begin with, I would say yes. Yeah. Your performing contract should be separate of your design contract. Mm -hmm. Um, It gets a little bit gray if you are the designer who's also doing the music on stage. That's a little trickier. But it's still, like, I've dealt with, a sound designer who is then the Foley artist on stage for mm-hmm. production. Right. And that is two separate contracts. They get their contract to do the right. sound design because that is one whole complete job right. with a whole bunch of requirements. Mm-hmm. And then the performing, which is, you know, you got to show up to do right. that show every day as well. Mm-hmm. So, Can I, Martin, was, can I like, poke
6: in here straight here? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, sound designer and composer. I'm under the understanding those two separate jobs. Practically speaking, yeah. practically speaking, do those often get contracted separately?
7: Uh, yeah, because yeah? I think they're two different con- contractual bodies. Yeah, depending, mm-hmm. like, I think that they're two different associations that you must speak right. to, okay. to get those two different contracts from. Right,
6: but maybe it's at the indie level where it just breaks down. It's well, terribly. it's true.
11: well. There's also like, I, like I do a lot of surtitle work, and it's like surtitle design, but then execution because nobody else can fully Can, execute.
6: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
11: In the moment. Like yep. and it I mean generally the companies I'm working with, I'm comfortable and happy, but like I've also consulted or like jumping in with people that I don't know and it's yeah.
2: like
11: that's just a whole separate time commitment. Then all of a sudden I'm like essentially a performer. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm there yeah. every night doing the goddamn thing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I also spent all these extraneous hours. So have you found yourself
6: thing. with a remote in your pocket acting on stage, running the third time. Oh, oh,
11: oh yeah. yeah. No. Or like running <laughs> design elements that's the, the same best time. that's it's the great.
6: best thing
2: ever it's Super. That's amazing
7: <laughs> yeah i would definitely say they should, like whether it's like a designer and operator contract or a designer and performer those are those are different things with very different requirements so mm-hmm. i
8: would say that they warrant each their own separated contract and could be negotiated separately in terms of yeah. fee and number of hours required sure. and all that stuff yeah, yeah.
6: Does that help, or were you hoping no, for something even, else? No, it does.
8: It's, just, it's,
11: it's just, sometimes it gets tricky when, it, like, you're in the room, especially with like works and development. It's like yeah. yes, I'm hours in the room rehearsing, also thinking about this, so it's it becomes somewhat amorphous. Yeah, well,
6: especially digital. if you're in development and you want to give, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah, then yeah.
11: it's like, but then it turns into other issues because if it yeah. does a remount yeah. and I can't be in it, but it's still my design. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, I think
7: like your hmm. territory. Yeah, here, here. I think almost always, not every time, but pretty much always, the design contract ends on opening night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still, like, if the show has legs, that's a different thing. Yeah. But if you are then having to operate and perform, like, they are completely or, like, separated. Where you work
11: design in the middle of the totally. run because I'm there and I can. And yeah, like, for
2: yeah.
7: Sure. yeah. 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 Sweet. Oh, John yeah. Miller. Get on
8: there. Somebody bring her the mic. Yeah. Is there going to be a crazy feedback thing when this happens? No? No,
5: because no. oh. well, no, no, no,
12: no, I've got control. Oh, right. And it would only hurt her. Yeah, I've got control. Um, one thing as a when I was freelance production managing was I would add clauses as a sense of protection on some already established contracts. One of the clauses was time commitment, but also added outside of that time commitment charge per hour Uh so it's like tech week i'm yours all day every day um production meetings as scheduled a number of them but added phone calls and added emails are going to be started charge per hour which allows people to kind of sometimes think about oh, I'm just not going to call you at 3 o'clock in the morning when I have this great idea. Mm-hmm, I'm going to mm-hmm. save it for the production meeting.
2: Yeah. yeah.
12: And so when they see that, it's like, oh, right, because you're working on something else. Mm-hmm. So it might be interesting to, if you are bringing a certain skill set of like, also, that's great. I have this performer clause, but if I start going into design work and yeah. it says yep. we have to do another contract. Right. For a fee that can be negotiated, you know? So you can adjust to your friends as you go, but, but you have a clause of like, yeah, it's just there. Right. Yeah. It's nice
8: because it's, it's also a subtle reminder, as you say, of like, you know, your time is worth something and it's not, you know, just remember, I'm not yours yeah. at 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah.
7: I mean, I think everybody has a, has a price, so if you've bought me for all of that time, sure. then maybe, maybe yeah. I'll answer your call at three in the morning, but yeah. it, all, it, it all depends.
9: Just a couple of things. Is there anything uh, that is similar to uh, the Directors Guild of Canada structure on who does what in the film industry? Is there anything like that in the theater uh, community as well? Um, any? That's a great
6: question.
7: You should it, write that book, Kevin. It <laughs> Does it?
9: Perhaps in the relationship to labor practice. Yeah, um,
3: um, Cultural Human Resources oh. Council has a <coughs>
6: list of job descriptions. The CRHC, that gives me my designation as a carpenter and blah, blah, blah. blah. Is that what that is?
3: Um, no, it's more along Damn. the lines of... These are the competencies and
9: skill sets yeah. for different kinds of job right. titles. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But, but adding to that, though, would be the sort of IATSE framework of uh, this is what a carpenter does, this is what mm. a, you know, mm-hmm. down, the, down mm-hmm. the road. So I just wanted these guys to understand when they're starting a company that there are some frameworks. They may not be as... Uh, As uh, extensive in scope uh, for the theater community, but they are out there. Uh, But yeah, I might give you you a good like DG uh, uh, for an idea of Mm -hmm. how that breaks down, because it also gets to your questions on uh, labor practice uh, during uh, production or development or whatever stage you're in. um, The clock is ticking. So, uh, you know, I will not perform unless you give me the go-ahead that I can perform because it's going to cost you this much. So, and I, I would, as someone who's worked in uh, many fields for many years, is to recommend to everybody to think that um, your uh, attention to the content that is being produced, whether you are uh, behind the scenes fixing a light or uh, designing, is that any attention you are putting to that effort um, is worth something. Yeah. There is a, a, a dollar value that you should say yes or no, I am going to attend to that at three o'clock in the morning or not. Right. So make that decision Early on, do not start building uh, add-ons at, from the end of the contract where it says other
8: duties is as assigned because I, I do I, that's so very good because I find that we also train people what to expect from us and if we do a lot of work for cheap or for free or we're too oh, it's OK, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll do this for you, too. The next contract you get from that company is going to already anticipate all that generosity on your behalf. So you kind of dig your own hole unless you, you know. And I would I would encourage, I get so many contracts back where people have just signed it. And I would encourage, and, and also it becomes clear quite often that they haven't even read it. Um, and I would encourage questions or back and forth, even if there's nothing that you actually don't understand or, or you're, you're not having a big problem with anything, throw in a question anyway. Like, you know, just so on the other end, the producer, the producer or the producing company knows that you read it, knows that you've absorbed it, knows that you're taking it seriously. It's professional practice right?
7: Yeah. And I would highly encourage wherever possible. I mean, we, 2017, we live in a world where you could be emailed a contract for review. You may not be able to sign it over email. Uh, but I have been stuck in a number of situations where I've been called into an office thinking that we're going to have a meeting to negotiate, to talk about terms, Mm -hmm. to discuss things further before I sign it. And I've been like, the contract has come down and it, has been made clear to me that it's very urgent that I need to get this signed, yeah. or I might not make this next pay period, or something like that. So, uh, you know, and Oldest so you, and, and you know, they're <laughs> they're holding you right there. So that you want to get paid. So you end up just signing it. You kind of breeze yeah. through it, uh, and I've been burned by that. So really, take the time to read your contracts. Ask for them in advance, uh, and if you are comfortable enough, and I encourage you to just find that courage. Uh, if you get presented with one of those situations where it's put in front of you, say, oh, well, I'd like to take this and Mm -hmm. I'll come back to you tomorrow so we can talk about it instead of just signing it. Yep.
6: Sweet. Um, I think I would be remiss, um, it's a little personal maybe, (laughs) if we didn't (laughs) talk about the PMTD, if we're talking about delineations.
2: Oh. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. I'd like to apologize to everybody. What's that? I to find that for our audience. Oh. Right. So
6: production managers exist in their management positions and they have a certain set of skills. Technical directors exist and they have a certain set of skills.
7: That are different. Different. Thank you so much. Specific <laughs>
6: and distinct roles that are far too often lumped together and yeah. s- just smashed in there because you only have so much money and you need a person to make your shit go. Yes. So, uh, please continue. (laughs) Well,
7: okay, ask me a question, because I can go all night long. Yeah, absolutely.
6: No, so, um, uh, well, how do you respond? So, uh, in the indie world, generally speaking, it's going to be a bunch of artists Mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, more or less know their game, and then they go into the theater, or they're staring down the barrel of going into a theater, and they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I need somebody to do this, and they think that's one person.
7: Right. Okay, so uh, I am a production manager. Yes. I am a sometimes shitty technical director. <laughs> um, so I approach it with what does the work need? Sometimes they need somebody like me who can manage the money and the time and the people and the artists. Sometimes they need somebody with way more technical skills than I possess. Um, and if it's that instance where they need, uh, it's a super tech-heavy show, and I know I can't get it done, I then ask, well, do you have a budget for a technical director? Because I can do all these things, but you seem to need more of these things. Like, mm-hmm. is there a situation, some kind of agreement we can come in, come to where maybe we split the fee? There's usually not enough money to make that worthwhile for anybody, but sometimes there is. Um, so I just start asking these questions. And then I explain within those conversations yeah. what my skill sets are and if they want to hire me that's fine but i'm also going to need somebody to fill in those gaps so whether that's by the hour for a smaller time period whatever sometimes if i'm really interested in the project and i want to do it i just hire down um i hire somebody else to yeah. do all of those things um but it puts the person that you're if you are the person asking that as a producer uh it puts me in a Shitty situation. situation. Yeah. Like, it's just not fun because I'm like, okay, well, you haven't really, you don't really understand what. These two jobs are in mm-hmm. different things, and mm-hmm. sometimes it works out fine. Sometimes, yeah. like they need less on the tech heavy, more on the production yeah. side. So yeah, all, sometimes
6: you need a handful of flats and yeah. some rental gear in this. It that, just the other.
7: it usually just takes more conversations. Like, do you have a budget to hire production Canada, for instance, where I'm going to send my designer drawings? <laughs> my designer, they do not. <laughs> my designer flat, pl- like my designer drawings. That have no construction information, and I will send them to a company, and they will figure all that out, and they mm-hmm. will like deliver a beautiful set to me. And I
6: will totally do that for you.
7: You yeah. will. He's pretty, he's yeah. pretty all right. I'll that. do it. Um, so if they have a budget for that, then like my my job is already easier, yeah. and maybe I don't have to think about that. Yeah. Um, it is a hard conversation, and you know because art is the first to lose money, to to lose government money, and the last to get it back, we've been kind of in a holding pattern Mm -hmm. for a while. Um, And I don't, like many, many years ago, we just decided as a theater community that PMTD is one job. I want everybody to know, it's not not. not one job. So (laughs)
6: my (laughs) current example is a production manager will will call Christy and rent you dimmers and lights. Mm But it takes a technical director to actually get the electricity there, Correct. to like actually spec the electricity, spec a generator, or find yeah. a tie-in point and like make that actual physical connection. Mm-hmm. That's what a technical director is for, as opposed to a PM. Yep. That's like the most clear example I can. That's have. that's very good. Yeah,
8: because I mean I think it's un- it's understandable that that people have this confusion that they yeah. don't. So that's a very good. Yeah, because
6: they are, they are both management positions. Yeah. Right, um, but like you said, one is managing sort of budgets and schedules and people and this, that, and the other, whereas one is sort of specking gear and mm. ohms. And you know what I mean? Like, totally. Yeah, totally.
7: Well, and I think, you know, to a certain degree, we we do it to ourselves a little yep. bit uh, because we will continue to take on yeah. these things. Yeah. <laughs> the the impossible job. And let's be clear. There are some magical unicorns that are PMTDs out there. Yeah. They, do it's true, they do exist. they do They are yeah. just
8: really hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, even
6: those unicorns will be better at one than the other.
8: It's true. Yeah. It's true. I am... Um, doesn't matter who. I got a job offer out of the blue a couple months ago from a large like an organization large enough to know better asking if I was interested in being a producing PMTD <laughs> <laughs> and
10: <That's>
8: I <laughs> And I just kind of looked at the you know like I and and then waited 24 hours and then wrote a very so what is it that you want you know because that's Th- at least three people. <laughs> yeah. um, but these confusions do exist. And yeah. I walked them through a process and definitions and, and said I'm not interested yeah. because that's also that's also an indication of the people you're entering mm. into an agreement with, you know, if yeah. that's the expectation they have of a single person for a part-time contract. So, yeah. Yeah, part-time. Flex hours. Wow. What a, what a deal. Work
6: from home. That sounds like an opportunity, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yes. yes. Hello. Uh, just kind of to further along this thing, I'm a stage manager. Um, so I had a question about uh, when I'm kind of presented with a, usually with smaller companies contract, of like, hey, do you want to work with us? Something I often ask is, does your show have a production manager? As I mm. heard earlier, every show should have a production manager, but totally. often... I am told no. Um, and I'm just wondering wow. what your thoughts are in what to do in that situation. Because sometimes I'm told, okay, well, we have a producer, and they will do this and this and this and this. Um, so just kind of what to do in that situation. Do you kind of, like, back slowly away as a stage manager or, or, who, or designer or whoever? Certainly. Uh, because, like, I'm... Because often the stage manager will then be expected to go out and buy things yeah. or do things, which I, I is not part of my job at all. Um, so, yeah, do you kind of back, again, back slowly away from that? Do you kind of go in hopef- like with optimism, saying, oh, maybe maybe this producer or whoever will take on these things? Or do you kind of, are you in a position where you then have to say to the company, hey, have you thought about a production manager?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think it's that, and it's not unlike what you were just speaking about, which is sometimes you just have to walk them through. And by the end of that journey, sometimes they go, oh, what was I thinking? Of course this is more than one person's job. You know, and I get it, budgets are what they are, but also to protect yourself, it's about having that conversation to make it clear what your expectations are and what you're willing to do and what you are not willing to touch, but making it known that this is absolutely going to come up and somebody else needs to take on this task and it's not going to be me.
8: Yeah, it's that whole managing expectations thing again. And it could be something that's a very simple show that a producer who is at the company is totally able to phone Christy and get some lights. and do, Like, who knows if it's a very small... But I doubt it. I, I feel yeah. like they're, they're spreading tasks, you know, as they can with the budget. Um, and you'd, are, are you in equity contracts in, in this yeah. situation? So that protects you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to read, like, the rules around equity stage managers to and oh, perhaps sure. help them understand yeah Yeah.
7: you know i know the cta can seem daunting but it it is fairly clear like it's long the cta is your friend it's it's so your friend it's it's been my friend for a real long time like just reference it to like page 64 when you're drawing your bath at
8: night that's right (laughs) (laughs) so good page 64
7: but again i mean you know in walking them through that especially as a stage manager explains them like okay i already have like perhaps a nine-hour day for six days a week. So how are we going to manage this? And then how are we going to manage that once I'm into 10 out of 12 and Mm -hmm. all of those things? And really just explaining the human cost of what that is and not just that everybody can...
8: And, And also to quantify it for them if they're not necessarily worried about their stage manager's well-being they will be worried about the fact that their director is not being supported properly that the performers are working with a stage manager who can't you know like function mm-hmm. yeah
1: and, there, and eventually you get to a point where it's like okay we need those um tables in for the show and yeah. then it's kind of a well who's getting those kind of situation. The, the rental shop
7: is open only from 10 to 6 when we are Rehearsing. yes so therefore
1: yeah <laughs> we and i know some some of these situations somebody. maybe occur more uh even even as an equity member occur occur more when you're doing a fringe show mm-hmm. you're under like a sure. festival agreement or uh if it's a smaller show and you're under the uh always fun collective agreement <laughs> uh when like yeah you could do kind of anything so it's kind of yeah just kind of taking those things and explaining and thank you you said like where it's like, no, I am actually in rehearsal from, I can't okay. leave and go do this other thing because I'm actually here yeah, for what, this other function.
7: I think yeah. what we've learned tonight is that negotiating a contract takes a lot of patience and deep breaths, <laughs> <laughs> guiding people through... Mm-hmm.
6: What you are and are not willing to do. It's true. Yeah. 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 This yeah. is beautiful. This is a beautiful place to wrap up. Again. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I would like to thank everybody very much, unless Chris Ross wants to... Yeah, i am going to hop
4: up and yeah, yeah. thank
6: everybody.
2: And Amazing. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. thank our panelists, uh, our wonderful moderator, Shawna Miller. Thank you all so much. Um, before I move on to anything else, I'm going to remember to do the moment of silence. Yeah. We need to do a quick second of silence for the podcast. Uh, Michael Cruz always reminds us to do this, and then sometimes we forget, and it's sad. Um, so I'm going to, uh, we're all going to take a deep breath and then we're going to hold it for three seconds and then I will continue on. So, okay, cool. That's great. Um, so thank you so much to our panelists. Thank you so much to Shauna. Thank you so much to, uh, Jared and Caredwin downstairs. Um, this has been, uh, the bellows. Please come back. It is the third Monday of every month. We didn't mention that. It's the third Monday of every month. We usually generally, here generally we'll be know. here. Not always. Sometimes we like to take field trips, but uh, usually it's here. Uh, our next one is on sustainability yeah. in theater.
6: And I think you're you're moderating that one, are you not? I
4: think I'm moderating that one because because believe. I am on
6: the con side.
4: Kevin <laughs> is on the against. Yeah. So that's going to be real interesting. Yeah, that's uh, great. R- oh, uh, we, we, we would like to pass. We'll pass the hat, or we'll leave the. The hat back there, or whatever, if you want to throw a couple bucks. When in you people.
6: pass the hat, put some money in it, please. Yeah, okay,
4: yeah. we're going to pass the hat. Um, otherwise, thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, please, there are cards for the Title Block podcast, and all of the podcasts are on there. So, if, for example, you want to go back and listen to last year's uh, fees contracts, and contracts and fees, was a, yeah, because awesome. we actually covered you didn't like really tonight. different <laughs> <laughs> stuff. We covered no, really no, different no, stuff. This,
6: this is a beautiful expansion on the last year's. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, uh, please go back and
4: listen. There's also uh, designer interviews. Uh, Yeah, uh, my Cruz also interviews designers, which is really cool, because they all are awesome and have amazing stuff to say. So please take a card and go uh, listen to the title block. Otherwise, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next month.
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah, And also the bar. Yay! And that was another recording of The Bellows from Theatre Pass Mariah on September 23rd in 2017. Next time, senior Canadian designer Ken McDonald. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with a voiceover by great Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Title block CA and on Facebook.com slash The Title Block Podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to The Title Block at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like this show, please go to support us on Patreon.com. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block.